0: Is it even possible to tell a complete story of rice? Maybe not, but in this first episode of season three of Next Ingredients podcast, we'll share some perspectives on rice that we have uncovered. But first, I should probably introduce myself. My name is Mara Lee, and I'm the new host of the Next Ingredient podcast. If you tuned into season one, I was Meredith's guest on the butter episode, and somehow now we're here in season three with me hosting. I'm completely new to hosting a podcast, but I'm not new to talking about food. I've spent most of my career in the food industry, and I've been a butcher, a baker, a cook, and a kitchen manager, among other things, and I'm super excited to be here and share the joy of food with all of you. I'll be learning a lot as I go and getting a lot of help from Gail and some from Google to figure out how this all works, so please bear with me. Speaking of Gail, who's the founder of Next Ingredient, She and I were talking about what rice things we wanted to discuss, and each of us went down a rabbit hole learning about wild rice, which is a whole different plant than what we think of as regular rice. So this first part of the episode is our discussion of what we learned. Enjoy! So when we were thinking about rice, one of the things that popped into our minds was wild rice, and I don't know that much about it, so I was really interested to kind of see what what's out there and I think there's a lot of really interesting things about wild rice it's not the same family as conventional or regular rice but it is related kind of as a cousin it's also a grain and a grass and so I I did some research and um, Gail did as well and we just wanted to share with each other what we found out about wild rice specifically that's really interesting
1: yeah I guess my interest in wild rice kind of came from a foraging perspective I'm always trying to learn a little more about wild food and I was curious about wild rice specifically because there are some types of wild rice that are native to North America so that really caught my interest
0: yeah I that was one thing I didn't even know before I started looking into it that it's native a lot of parts of North America and it's been harvested for a long time.
1: Yeah I I saw that it can be harvested from the wild especially in the Great Lakes area Minnesota but that it is also cultivated in paddies around the Great Lakes but also north of there in Canada and also California. I kept hearing this word manumen. I don't think that I'm saying it right, but this is another name for it. And it means the good berry. Did you come across that at all?
0: I did. Yeah. Um, as far as like Native American tribes, at least some of them, that's what they, they call it. And it's kind of a, a big thing culturally and something to eat as well. A lot of Native American cultures.
1: Yeah. And, Also, if somebody is interested in purchasing it, it's good to remember that it should probably be purchased from somebody who is licensed to harvest it or purchase it from somebody who lives on a reservation and is harvesting it in the traditional way.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things. I think in at least Minnesota and Wisconsin – Native American tribes, uh, people that are part of those tribes don't need an additional permit to harvest, but anyone else can harvest wild rice as long as they have a permit and are doing it within the regulations of that state. When you can harvest it, as far as like seasonally, it's usually parts of August and September, even the time of day that you can harvest. As from what I saw, there weren't like limits on how much you could harvest, but even things like the size of your canoe, it's traditionally done in a canoe, is regulated. To me, that is similar to like a hunting season when I would think of like deer season or any other type of game or fishing season. It's just interesting seeing kind of similar rules adapted to a grain.
1: Yeah, I also was thinking about the little I know about hunting seasons, and I was intrigued by it. It seemed like the way that it's harvested, if you're harvesting it in the wild, you're probably using a canoe. But I saw in the Canadian areas, um, I guess they would be called paddies, there were motorized boats being used but traditionally how it was harvested used a canoe and then two people one person's seated one person's standing and they're working together to gather the grain
0: yeah I found a few like YouTube videos that showed it which I thought it's it's really interesting to just google wild rice harvest (laughs) there's um, videos of of how that looks as far as like somebody seated and then somebody standing that's kind of pushing the the fronds I don't know yeah uh, I don't know what it to call over it. the boat and then the the rice off as long as they're ripe enough they should just kind of fall off into the boat or into the canoe
1: I was seeing kind of a wild rice harvesting etiquette list and it was mentioned that people who rely on this like as one of their staples of their pantry are very respectful about causing the least amount of disturbance in the rice growing area as possible. And so, you know, it's going to be probably harvested in straight rows. You can maximize the yield, but like to just not encroach on somebody's path, if they're harvesting and just kind of stay in your own area. And then like, don't be turning around in the middle of like, don't take your canoe to the middle of this rice bed and turn around like you would want to exit and find an open area turn your canoe around and then go back in a straight line
0: oh is that to just not disturb as many plants with the canoe as far as like if you're gonna be kind of running over them
1: essentially it seemed like it had a couple of purposes one is that you don't want to uproot the rice plants Mm. because they're kind of sensitive and they'll just like pull out of the muck but also, you wouldn't want to just like interrupt somebody's row. yeah, and then also you wouldn't want to just knock rice off that you're not harvesting. You would want to yeah. utilize the grain as it as it falls off. So it seemed like it had a few different purposes.
0: yeah, that, that makes sense. I feel like best practices, I guess you could say for harvesting, um it seemed like we're kind of developed out of the respect for the plant itself and as a food source and culturally from the different Native American tribes that have harvested it for a long time and I think that's really important as far as like just any food source kind of remembering that it's something that grows and it it needs it needs to be respected.
1: Mm -hmm. There's ways to Harvested sustainably so it can be enjoyed for a long time.
0: Yeah and that was another thing that I found out was that in 2018 the white earth nation of Ojibwe I think that's how you say it which is one uh, Native American tribe that they formally recognized wild rice as a, like a an entity that has rights and it has like a right to exist and flourish and multiply and um, just as as a, a plant I thought that was really interesting and I feel like that's such a good way to think about it as a food source of like it needs to exist and flourish and multiply so that we can continue to enjoy it um, into the future.
1: Yeah. I like that. It seems like a lot of people who use wild foods are looking at those foods as um, like in respect and viewing it in more of a reciprocal way rather than just like extracting as much as you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, that's definitely from this specific plant uh was very clear as something that's important. And I think, um, again, kind of bringing it back to like uh, game and fish kind of laws and regulations. um, I feel like that it's, to me, it's like unusual to think that way about a grain, but Mm -hmm. to me that really kind of just opened up my thinking around like what else, like what other foods am I like kind of thinking about in a way of just like you know I just buy it and eat it and like instead of for what it is as like a natural product that's like something that grows and has seasons and um is important to to care for I guess
1: yeah those are good reminders for sure and um we were saying that it's important to to minimize waste it's important to get it processed as soon as you can after it's harvested and if I understand correctly it seems like it needs to be either dried or frozen after processing
0: yeah yeah
1: Yeah, and then um as far as cooking it do
0: you cook with wild rice um so I have not recently
1: I was just going to say, I think that the ratio of water needed to cook wild rice was like six cups to one cup, whereas white rice would be like more, more like one to one. That's interesting. I didn't
0: look for any other uh, recipes for cooking wild rice, but the one that I found had it as one cup of uncooked wild rice to three cups of liquid. Okay. So, which is still much higher than uh, white or brown rice, but I, I don't know. I'm like, now I just need to go and cook some wild rice and test it out. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm
1: remembering when I would, saw that six to one recipe, the recipe called for it to be cooked uncovered. So that would, you would definitely lose a lot more water.
0: Ah, yeah. That this way. One, I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now and it is for, a, it says with a tight fitting lid. Okay, so, so
1: there's different techniques for sure.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then another way of um, cooking it, I guess, was I found a, a recipe, if you want to call it, for uh, popping it like popcorn.
1: Yes, I tried that actually a couple of weeks ago. Oh, preparation really? For this. Yeah. How was it? Well, okay, what I ended up doing is popping a blend because I was. Uh thinking of trying to make my own version of genmai cha that used wild rice instead of regular rice and so I toasted yeah I like toasted slash popped this wild rice blend and then added it to some green tea leaves and it was it was good I really liked it
0: oh awesome did it have like a very distinct flavor from genmai cha
1: um, I feel like the flavor was very similar, um, maybe slightly more of a smoky flavor. Sometimes I think wild rice has a little bit of a smoky undertone and that oh, seemed I, to come through. And then it was toasted too. So it did have kind of a smoky, smokier flavor than regular Genmai chaw. Huh, nice.
0: And I, I wonder if the smokiness of wild rice could have to do with the, the how it's processed before the you even buy part. it.
1: Do you That's think? a good thought. I wonder. Good question.
0: But also, yeah, I was thinking about popping wild rice and just eating it like popcorn, which I have not done yet, but it could be an interesting thing to try.
1: My dad pops sorghum.
0: Oh. in done that as well and it's delicious
1: yeah and it's cute. those their little kernels are just cute you kind of feel like a giant
0: it's almost really a yeah. tiny popcorn <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of like um it looks almost like Dippin' Dots except for oh yeah it it's does a grain That's <laughs> true <laughs> more chewy yeah yeah definitely more chewy <laughs> I feel like there's still so much even more about wild rice that we could say. But I think for me, the last thing that I, you know, unless you already know this, wanted you to know, is that wild rice is Minnesota's state grain. So oh. it's officially their state grain.
1: Well, I-, I didn't know states had official grains, but I'm I'm into it. Do, do you live in a state that has an official grain?
0: <laughs> well... California, I think they attempted to make regular rice, the state grain of California, but it did not go through.
1: Didn't hold.
0: So, yeah, I'm in California. Okay. And I would love to live in a state that that, that rice was the state grain, but <laughs> alas. Alas. <laughs> well, you can have,
1: like, an official grain of your house or something.
0: That's true. I feel like that would be appropriate. Um, you get get neighbors yeah. in on it. <laughs> Yeah, and then you just start from grassroots. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and it ripples out,
1: and soon California will just
0: (laughs) join you. Yeah, that
1: is a great (laughs) idea. And then if people are interested in buying wild rice, you know, that's like not in a blend and that's harvested from the Great Lakes area, we can add... A resource for it in the show notes it's from this forager named sam thayer and he um yeah he harvests it and i don't know like his processing Mm -hmm. technique or you know if if somebody else processes it processes it for him but he i think sells that every year so we can add that to the notes
0: that sounds good. Another this is like it seems like a larger company. that's called Canoe Wild Rice.
1: I saw that as well. They had canned wild rice.
0: Yeah. I was curious <laughs> about that. I wonder it sounds like that it would be already cooked and you just heat it up, I would assume. Yeah. I but mean then, it seems and... like
1: something to keep in the back of your car for emergencies for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>
0: Got lots of protein in there.
1: Just don't forget your can opener.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So, An
1: interesting plant.
0: Definitely. And it's something worth buying and trying a couple different ways to make it. You could cook it and have it as a side, or you could pop it like popcorn or add it to get my cha. Um, It's versatile and delicious. So,
1: I spoke with Clay Bowers, who does wild rice harvesting every fall in the Great Lakes mm-hmm. area, and he told me about the idea to use um wild rice for rice crispy traits like a wild version and then the sugary part of it is a um maple sugar like if you want to oh. just totally lean into that wild theme yeah those sounded how... really good
0: it's a, like a healthy version of rice crispy cookies <laughs> Yeah, I would. It would be. It
1: would be fun to try that and um, and maybe even make it official state dessert.
0: Yes, we <laughs> should make it and pitch it to Minnesota and see <laughs> if they're down with that.
1: That seems <laughs> like a good side project.
0: Yeah, I feel like we could probably you know talk about wild rice a lot more, but I think but we we've, I, yeah. we've talked about it a lot. Yes, yes, we've covered a
1: few of the the bases, a few of the categories that we looked into. There's so much more to learn about it, but this is a start.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really cool to explore a plant that you know it's where it was grown was where it has been growing for thousands of years, and um, we can still eat it today, which is great. Pretty
1: cool. I like it. Thanks, Mara. All right. Thank
0: you. I learned so much about wild rice, and I'm declaring it the official grain of Next Ingredient Season 3. Now we'll shift gears, and I'll introduce you to Glenn Lee, who is so passionate about food, he should probably have his own podcast or YouTube channel. But before that, let's hear from a couple of our sponsors, starting with Anchor. If you're wondering how we started the Next Ingredient podcast, you might want to know about Anchor. Anchor is a platform that offers the podcaster everything from recording to editing, all in one place. They even provide tools to help share the podcast from your phone or computer on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other popular options. It's free and user-friendly. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Next ingredient is also supported by Wild Coast Seafoods. This is a company that supplies the Boise area with Alaska seafood from small boats who practice sustainable, high-quality harvesting and processing methods that preserve the taste and texture of the seafood. Stay tuned on their seasonal offerings. Check out at Seafoods on Instagram, or go to wildcoastseafoods.fish to learn more. So I'm talking to Glenn Lee, who is my father-in-law, and I've known him for at least 10 years or so, and I think one of the first things I knew about Glenn even before I met him was that he loves food. And
2: I like food.
0: Yes, (laughs) and so do I. And so we have always bonded over our love of food, and it's probably one of the main things that we talk about. We just both love food, and it's been... Uh, It's always fun whenever we visit here to cook together or just talk about things that each of us has enjoyed cooking and eating. And um, so we're here visiting Glenn in Santa Barbara, and I thought it would be a good time to sit down and just talk about rice and talk about uh, kind of Glenn's life and uh, why he loves food so much.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm from Hawaii, and in Hawaii you talk about... You, number one interest is food and number two is talking about food and it's you're from Hawaii
0: <laughs> that makes sense so you grew up in Hawaii
2: in Honolulu
0: and what was that like
2: oh it's fun mm-hmm. basically there are two things to do there just go to the beach and eat that's it
0: those are both great like fun activities that <laughs> you could do every day when you were growing up in Hawaii, who typically cooked the meals at your house?
2: Oh, my my mother did all the cooking. Mm-hmm. Did most of the cooking until till oh maybe when I was 13 or when I saw saw the French chef on on PBS and Julia Chow was the greatest inspiration of cooking.
0: So even from a young age you would watch TV chefs and and learn from them. And did you start cooking when you were thirteen? I watched
2: my mother mm-hmm. cook. Yeah, and she taught tell me how to do things and why put things together, and started my interest in cooking.
0: So would would she let you help cooking, or would would she just kind of show you how to do it?
2: Maybe maybe till after I was thirteen, I was I would, I'd help her to cook dinner. Oh, nice. Yeah.
0: And what were like some of the most popular dishes that she would make that the you know you and your your siblings liked or things that she liked to cook
2: well basically is Cantonese cooking basically there's only a few things in we would have to we would eat and uh, it's re- pretty repetitious but once a once a month is the same old thing all over again mm-hmm. it's Cantonese cooking um mixed in with Hawaiian foods in some filipino some japanese
0: mm-hmm. is that, uh, that typical in hawaii of, typical. of just kind of the the fusion of all those different types of food
2: yeah it's all pretty much all together is the same thing it's called island cooking island foods as opposed to hawaiian foods
0: ah yeah that makes sense from like a day to day what were like some of those cantonese dishes that your mom would cook
2: Oh, I remember we have this often, it would be, um, oh, one of the popular things is the uh, chilled garlic chicken. It's very popular in Hawaii. It started with the, uh, probably in the early 60s from the Hilton Hawaiian Village Hotel and from the uh, restaurant there and became very popular. And we'd have that pretty often. Fried chicken is very, very common in Hawaii. We'd probably have it, have that for dinner about every two weeks, have fried chicken. It's a very common thing.
0: Sounds delicious. Um, and so what kind of rice dishes would you have or just even, how often would you even eat rice?
2: We'll eat rice almost seven times a week for dinner. And we would have potatoes, but eat your rice first, mm-hmm. then you have potatoes.
0: It's always a, a good staple to have on the table, for sure.
2: And the leftovers, uh, mom would make it, make fried rice for breakfast. It's very common oh. to have egg fried rice for breakfast with any leftovers with bacon or leftover pork or chicken. You just throw that in and have for breakfast.
0: Nice. What type of rice did your mom typically shop for? Or like what was the staple
2: type of rice? Basically, it was Japanese rice or cowlice rice or it is a medium grain rice. Um, We have that in 50 pound bags in a, I remember in a a large drum in the closet. And uh, basically, Japanese rice is used, is very common in Hawaii. Uh, Chinese restaurants would use Texas long grain rice for cooking and it's, it's, it's it's different than the Japanese rice. Medium grain, medium grain is really is is stickier than than uh, long grain rice. Then it became popular to use Thai rice maybe about twenty or thirty years ago, and uh, people started using Thai rice. It's a combination of of long grain and short grain rice, and it has a a more pleasant smell to it. The
0: jasmine rice. Jasmine rice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it's that's a medium grain that like kind of No, more, it's, no? it's
2: po- probably a long grain rice okay. and it's from Thailand
0: So with the Calrose rice, it, does that mean it was grown in California? Do you know if it was just that type and it was grown somewhere Most else? Most
2: of, of the rice that we would consume would be grown in California mm-hmm. Fresh rice is better than old rice because it's uh, has a better smell to it and has a better texture to it as um, most of the rice that we eat would come from California. There are some rice that are grown in, in Louisiana in the south but um, we don't get that in California or Hawaii.
0: You told me before about uh, what your family would do with the bags of the rice.
2: Oh, <laughs> rice used to come in. we would get rice in 50 pound bags and it would come in uh, in muslin cotton muslin cloth and my mom would make pajamas with the empty bags of rice and we would have i remember having our pajamas with with the uh, bleached out um cowboys rice logos on printed on the front back of the bags
0: so were they comfortable? <laughs> okay.
2: After several washings, they were comfortable. They were okay. a little on, on the rough side at the start, but mm-hmm. they became um, comfortable.
0: Nice. It's a they call it upcycling now, <laughs> but that <laughs> that's very uh, makes a lot of sense to reuse. Because I don't think rice bags now are made out of cotton. They're like a plastic weave usually, right? The plastic weave, yeah. Yeah. Um what types of rice do you cook with now? Do you still cook with calrose?
2: Basically, we would have jasmine rice. I would use calrose rice specifically um specific type of cow rice for um sushi and for for Japanese cooking. And it's um it has a better texture to it than uh, uh so jasmine rice.
0: There are there more than one types type of Calrose rices? Or is it, it's all kind of one? Basically
2: it's, there's only one type.
0: Okay. Um, but that's good, that's the type that's good for sushi compared to jasmine rice, because jasmine yeah. is long grain.
2: There are different brands of sushi rice that are better than others. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you buy Japanese rice ever? Or do you go with- Just for sushi. Okay, just for sushi. the, the Calrose
2: rice, yeah. Yeah. And I'll keep it separately.
0: What is one of your favorite ways to eat rice?
2: My favorite way is plain old steamed rice. Not fried rice, plain old steamed rice. It's a good, it's always good. No sauce, no soy sauce on it, no butter on it, just plain old steamed rice.
0: And do you always cook it in a rice cooker or do you ever cook it a different
2: way? Almost always in a rice cooker, except with... I'm making a uh, uh, paella. No. Paella, yeah. Paella. Yeah, paella.
0: So yeah. when you make when you make paella, what? Oh, then you're cooking it in what type of?
2: Theoretically, you use a a medium grain rice for paella, but I find that it's it, it's that I'll cook it on the stove in a paella, my paella pan. Um, but I find that it's. It's hard to get it to uh, really get looser so it's, I would use jet rice I just don't tell anybody <laughs> It's no still difference. just as good <laughs> just as good
0: you mentioned earlier having egg fried rice for breakfast that that's something your mom would cook growing up and I know it's something you still make sometimes right
2: yeah how do you leftover make it? leftover rice mom would, would use the leftover rice from dinner and she'd use uh, she she'd use bacon and uh, because we have bacon all the time at home, and to use eggs and green onions and soy sauce and sesame oil, and pretty much that's it. Do you just cook it in a wok on the stove? or Yeah, in yeah. a wok on, the s- on stove. A little bit of oil, that's about it.
0: Nice. That sounds great. Uh, you mentioned also, uh, well, I think when you were talking about the paella, you also mentioned, uh, risotto. Is that something that you cook often or?
2: Once in a while I'll make risotto. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, since my wife doesn't like Parmesan cheese, uh, that's used in a risotto, I would use fontina. It's a salted uh, cheese or a moderate Jack cheese, okay. but, uh, the type of rice is, uh I have is alborio rice, um, It is what is it's a stickier rice that I use um, specifically only for risotto.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can be a really good, it's almost like a porridge, but fancier. I
2: almost think. like a fancy <laughs> porridge, yeah, yeah, with chicken stock. Mm-hmm.
0: And then speaking of porridge, I know you also like to make, or and maybe you ate it growing up as well, juk? Juk. Or do you call it juk or kanji?
2: Kanji is the Mandarin term for juk. Juk is uh, is Cantonese, and mom would make it basically with pork, pork bones. Um, would she use
0: leftover rice and water, or would she just she make uses, it? She used starch.
2: leftover rice or you use fresh rice too. Okay. Leftover rice is faster. It takes about an hour to make slices of ginger, slices of ginger, chicken. Mm-hmm.
0: And you just? Cook the the rice and the pork bone and the ginger, just till it becomes a nice thick porridge.
2: It takes about an hour till it becomes thick. Mm-hmm. You, you, the ratio is about mm-hmm. five water to one rice, something like that.
0: Yeah, that sounds sounds good. And then, what would you you would, would you eat that for breakfast or lunch or dinner or which meals? After dinner. After dinner.
2: After dinner, it's very common to have it. After dinner, the restaurants would make, uh, would cook the leftover rice at half for dinner and be ready about 8 o'clock at night and people would go there um, to the restaurant for chook. Ah. And they would, um, Cantonese, um, mm-hmm. Mandarin more so, would use um, um, thousand-year-old eggs in the, in the uh, juk
0: and um, would they cook it in that, or that would be like you'd put that on at the end?
2: In the end, as as a topping okay. for the rice.
0: And the 1,000-year-old eggs weren't actually a 1,000 years old, right?
2: <laughs> no, it's about a month or two months old.
0: Okay. Do they? How do they make them?
2: Um, you cure it with li- with lye. Oh. And it um, takes about a month, six weeks to make it with lye.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what else Salt. would you put on top of the... Juk?
2: Um, We put meatballs with uh, pork balls, um, fish, you can put uh, green onions, and lettuce, Chinese lettuce or or regular lettuce.
0: Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I only recently learned to make juk, and it's one of my favorite things to eat. (laughs) It's delicious.
2: My mother would make a big pot of jook for New Year's Eve. We would eat jook right after we uh, like the firecrackers. And uh, everybody would hop, good uh, meet in the house afterwards and have a bowl of jook and with I mean lettuce and to clean up afterwards. A, she'll be up, to, they'll be up to 2 o'clock in the morning to clean up. That sounds to to like it sounds
0: a good, like a good New Year's. I can't wait to make a pot of juk after hearing Glenn's stories. Next, we'll talk about one of the million other ways there are to cook rice. Here's a dish that you can make using rice, plus a few other ingredients. Dirty rice originated in the American South and has had many different names and iterations. It, of course, always includes rice, and usually, sautéed meats, vegetables, herbs, and spices, they get mixed into the rice and make it dirty. There are many different ways to make dirty rice according to individual preference or whatever ingredients you may have on hand. So I chose one that highlights that. In her book, A Real Southern Cook by Dora Charles, she describes this recipe for dirty brown rice as being a little bit healthier um, and a little bit lighter than kind of the original dirty rice that would usually have meat and white rice Um, but it's still very satisfying and has some chewiness from that brown rice that makes you feel like you've eaten something that will keep you going for a long time so for the ingredients for the brown rice it's two and a half cups water a fourth of a teaspoon salt one cup of brown rice and then for as she calls it the dirtying five tablespoons butter two cups or about half a pound of chopped white mushrooms one cup chopped green bell pepper, one cup chopped yellow onion, one tablespoon pressed or minced garlic, salt and ground black pepper to taste, and two to three tablespoons of dried parsley to make the rice a little dirtier. So first, you cook the rice by bringing the water to a boil in a two-quart covered saucepan. And then once it boils, you'll add the salt and stir in the rice. Then cover and cook over medium-high heat until the rice is tender, chewy, about 45 minutes. Then you'll leave it off the heat, covered, while you make the rest of the dirty rice. For the rest of the dirty rice, you'll heat a large skillet over medium heat and melt the butter in it. Then add the mushrooms, green pepper, onions, and garlic, and season with a little salt and pepper. Stir well, turn the heat up to medium-high, and cook until the onions are translucent, about five minutes. Next, add the cooked rice cup by cup, stirring as you go. Turn the heat down to medium low, and add the parsley and a little bit more salt and pepper. Stir well and continue cooking until the rice is hot. Serve right away, or steam it in a microwave oven sprinkled with water if it seems dry. Well, that concludes the first episode of Season 3 of the Next Ingredient Podcast. Many thanks to Glenn and Gail for their insights into rice. I had a lot of fun. I hope they did too, and that anybody listening has been inspired to cook something new or different with rice. If you're interested in learning more about some of the things we talked about, you can check out the show notes for links. For our February episode, we are going to explore the wonderful world of rhubarb. I can't wait to see what we discover about this delicious and versatile plant. I can almost taste the rhubarb pie now. If you have any questions, ideas, thoughts, or recipes, you can send us a message on Instagram at nextingredient.podcast. Next Ingredient is supported by Gail Kluesterman Art. This art is inspired by the discovery process we engage in when interacting with nature. Purchase of this art makes it possible to provide the Next Ingredient podcast as a free educational service to anyone who wants to listen to it. Supporting the podcast helps increase access to nutrition on the community level. View current projects at Gail Kluisterman Art on Instagram to be a part of the process.